I don't need a big production Streamers hanging in the air I don't need to spend the night With confetti in my hair I don't need a room of people That I don't really know I just want to hold you And never let you go I just wanna dance with you Hello and welcome to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway for Sunday, December 30th, 2018. My name is James Marino. In the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a theater journalist and historian with a number of books. His most recent is The Great Parade, which is available everywhere. His columns appear at MTI, Masterworks, Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at filespotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. All right. We're down to the uh, mere hours left in 2018, and um, we are kicking off 2019 uh, in just about two weeks at BroadwayCon. in uh, in less than two weeks, we're going to have our seminar at Saturday, January 12th at 11.15 in the Sutton Center Room at Broadway Con. So please come and visit us. I'm trying to figure out if I'm allowed to bring cookies and chocolate in there or not. So, uh, I, you know, we're not going to tell you ahead of time, but uh, certainly... If you do show up and there are cookies and chocolate, uh, you are welcome to partake in it. So come visit uh, Peter, Michael, me. Matt's going to be there. Natalie's going to be there. Jan's going to be there. Jenna's going to be there. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the upcoming spring season and do a little Q&A if you have any cues for us to A. And also uh, maybe a little trivia contest. So um, please stop by BroadwayCon and uh, say hello to us. So we thought that, um, as we mentioned last week, there's not a whole lot of stuff opening up. So we've had, uh, and especially with the holidays, we've had a quiet week and we thought it'd be a good time to reflect upon 2018 and talk about what was the best theater in 2018. So um, Peter and Michael, uh, the floor is yours. Peter, what did you think uh, about 2018? Well, I think that uh, the early part of 2018 wasn't as strong as the latter part of 2018. I have really come out of the theater many times this fall and early winter saying, wow, um, that was really terrific. I'm so impressed by what I saw. So um, if it continues, this may turn out to be one of the more memorable seasons that we've uh, had in a long time, though I will admit, of course, that is more true of plays than it is of musicals. But uh, but still, there are a lot of wonderful things that happened uh, during this past year. And um, some of them, uh, people will agree with me uh, wholeheartedly and some won't, of course, uh, partly because um, I, I may have seen things that they, they didn't, and partly because, of course, taste uh, is is so relative. But 
that said, um, I, I, where do we start? Uh, do we start uh, by going through um, the the so-called minor awards that uh, certainly represent the people who are needed very much to uh, put on shows, um, people like uh, who do costumes and lighting and such. Um, I don't know if we want to start with that, but uh, I'll mention a Maverick choice uh, for setting, which was uh, Louisa Thompson doing Everyone's Fine with Virginia Woolf, which was down at the Aprons Art Center, because it was real all Trump loy. Uh, it, it did fool your eye. Now, this, of course, was a parody of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and um, I didn't like the play at all but boy the settings <laughs> were just so amazing because that's what they did they fooled your eye that you look and said wait a minute is is that part of the set is that a drawing uh oh um is 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 that in scale to what's going i i'm really not sure so um i thought that was a terrific set what i will say though the most amazing set to me in terms of what was going on was yerma um and lizzie clatchen uh did the set for yerma now this was done at the armory and i am telling you that what was amazing beyond belief was the fact that this was in a glass encased space um there was a glass like when you you go um, into the bank, you know, and they have the glass there so um, robbers can be discouraged. All right, but that's not the point. The point is that at every blackout, suddenly there was a completely different set, and I don't know how they changed it. I mean, in fact, I do because I was later told. But while watching, I said, how could this possibly be happening, that in such a small blackout in this contained space that there would be um, such a dramatic change from one scene uh, to the other? Furniture suddenly appeared and disappeared, and in no time flat. So I thought that was really quite amazing. Um, Michael, did you have any sets that um, bowled you over? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, um, the ferryman. Sure. No, yeah. In terms of creating that world and, of course, network uh, on, on a completely different level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in terms of costumes, um, once again, the two most impressive for me were both delivered by Catherine Zuber, who is one of our most valuable uh, costume designers. I first discovered her many, many moons ago, uh, maybe well over 20 years ago, uh, when she did Once in a Lifetime at the um, ART in Cambridge. And um, I really thought she did a wonderful job there with period costumes. But here she had a chance with period costumes in two instances that I really were impressed by and that was um both for my fair lady in town and moulin rouge out of town so um we have a treat coming in terms of moulin rouge you would expect costumes for moulin rouge to be uh knockouts because after all we're talking about a, a certain time and place that um, lends itself to that but uh Catherine zubin will not let you down when uh you see um moulin rouge come to the uh hirschfeld theater uh this summer so I, I like those a lot. So, um, Michael, what do you think about 2018? What was your thoughts? Uh, well, I start by saying that actually two of the best things I saw the whole year were just very recently. Mm-hmm. And one of them uh, was just a, a couple of nights ago. I got to see the New York Gilbert and Sullivan Players production of The Pirates of Penzance. And, I, you know, I've, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even remember if I've ever seen a previous oh. performance of the New York Gilbert and Sullivan Players, because if I did, it was many, many years ago. Um, but this uh, – I'm glad I caught up with them. They're, they're performing now, or at least they did this show at the K Playhouse. I know they've been elsewhere in the past. Um, 
I'm not sure. I think maybe they're a little more itinerant now. But it was, uh, you know, I'm aware of their reputation for uh, just really researching, uh, you know, proper style of, of correct traditional uh, performance of the Gilbert and Sullivan operettas. And uh, I also was aware that they use a full orchestra. And that was uh, one of the main reasons I wanted to go because Pirates is the is really the one GNS show that I know really well. And uh, it, uh, you know, I mean, I know it, of course, with the famous <laughs> adaptation that was done by the, the, the public theater years ago, first it, in at the Delacorte in Central Park, uh, and then on Broadway with that amazing cast of Kevin Klein and Linda Ronstadt and uh, Rex Smith and George Rose, etc. cetera. Uh, but I had never seen a traditional production with the original orchestration. So this, this was really really quite a treat uh, for me. And another reason I, I went was that I knew um, uh, some of the roles were double cast and one of them was the role of Mabel. Uh, but uh, one of the Mabels is this wonderful, wonderful soprano named Katie Dixon, who I had seen previously uh, in, in in other things. And I just really wanted to, to he, see and hear her in the show. And she was just great. But the whole thing was just fantastic as far as the acting and the singing. And the choral singing was phenomenal. The, the, the orchestra played beautifully. And the whole style of the piece was wonderful. And, and you know, it was one of the greatest things about it was there were several kids in the audience and they were just delighted with it because uh especially when the uh kind of like little more slapsticky things start to happen they 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 really really enjoyed it but you could tell they were just into the whole story in general um so i i just was thrilled that i got to see that just a couple of nights ago um and then another thing i saw recently which uh, we had discussed and uh i thought was very very thought-provoking and intelligent and has apparently turned into uh, quite a controversial little piece is Slave Play uh, by Jeremy O'Harris down at New York Theater Workshop. And I know uh, Peter saw it as well, okay. uh, and we discussed it at length. But this, uh, I think um, – and I'm not surprised that it became controversial for two reasons. I mean not only is it about race relations, but it's also very explicit in some of its uh, – uh, simulated sexual activity on stage. So th those two together, <laughs> um, they have led to, uh, you know, co uh, apparently something that everyone is talking about. And, and I even read, uh, <laughs> uh, someone, uh, somewhere calling for all performances of the show to be canceled and for the production to be shut down, which uh, I think is a little excessive. Uh, really? so <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Things get kind of scary, you know? Um, I mean, I don't think there's any danger of, yeah, yeah. But even still, the fact that it's being talked about is, you know, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, uh, so I, you know, I, I, I imagine, Mr. Jeremy O'Harris is maybe feeling a little put upon at the moment, but uh, but he is on the basis of this play one of our most talented uh, up and coming playwrights, and and I think we can expect to hear and see incredible things from him in the future. Um, so I just wanted to mention those things at top because I just saw them, and it was great to end the year on a high note. There have been so many, so many wonderful things. Uh, and yes, we, we've noted before the cyclical nature of theater, and uh, you never know what's what kind of 
turn of the wheel you're going to get and what the cycle is going to be. But it's so gratifying to me that uh, we have we have had uh, several really worthy new plays on Broadway and and, you know, which have been successful, Uh, didn't hurt that uh, they had stars in them, stars of one level or another. I'm thinking uh, specifically at the moment of the lifespan of a fact, which I thought was just terrific. And American Son, um, those are two that uh, two really big successes on Broadway and deservedly so. Uh, so I uh, and, you know, counterbalanced as almost if planned by some really, really bad uh, musicals, most of them, <laughs> uh, you know, jukebox and or bio musicals. Um, it's almost uh, as if there's like some kind of theatrical god up there saying, "All right, well, this year we'll try, <laughs> we'll try some really great plays and some really bad musicals, and you know, so maybe we'll give people a chance to to look at plays for a while and see that a good play is still a, you know, is there's nothing better than a good play. Uh, that mm. that haven't. Well, Michael, if they're gods, they're lesser gods. Uh, we will uh, <laughs> insist. It's funny you mentioned you mentioned cycles because uh, that brings up uh, the revolving cycles. Truly and steadily rolled uh, a play that was at the Duke Theater, and the reason I mention it because it had a terrific performance by uh, a young woman who uh, was unknown to me before, Carrie Young, uh, playing a, a kid on the street, um, a young black woman who uh, had to make it however she could, uh, hand to mouth is is even a, a lofty way of putting it because her life was even harder than that and the search the odyssey she went through to get where she wanted to be was most effective especially because as i say carrie young made such a tremendous impression on me so um i would like to say that um she was really the featured actress of the year for me um a close second, I want to mention somebody that nobody ever heard of and nobody um, saw because it was at a tiny theater on 36th Street. Um, though I will mention another uh, performance that I saw there, too. This is 312 West 36th Street. Um, there are a number of theaters there. I was really surprised that my buddy Mark Grossberg um, recently said, oh, you know, I went to this place on 36th mm-hmm. Street. I'd never been there before. Well, I think, you know, a lot of us should go more because it really does have a lot of uh, tremendous um, assets. So the one I'm going to mention first, as I say, which I would say was a tie with Carrie Young for the best supporting performance of the year, is a young woman named Alexa. Alexa Shea, S-H-A-E, Nizziak, N-I-Z-I-A-K, who was in a show called The Thing with Feathers. And what was so amazing, um, as a young teenage girl, that's what she played, that's what she is, she was so natural, which is my favorite type of acting, which doesn't seem like there's any acting at all. Um, <clears throat> I wish that more of my Theatre World nominators had seen her because, um, you know, we vote six five four three two one. She would have got six points from me, but um, nobody else saw her because it was such a, a small production. But my, um, uh, no pretensions whatsoever. I mean, there's a performance right now by a child um, off Broadway. I'm not going to mention her name because you know how it works. Uh, when minors commit a crime, you don't give their names. And she's so mannered. I blame the director, too. But, I mean, there's none of this in this performance um, by Alexa Shea Nizziak. So I thought she was really, really tremendously impressive. Um, but also at that same theater in a very different um, show, um, 
there was an amazing performance by a, another child um, who truly, truly surprised me. His name was Finn Douglas, and um, 11 years old, I think, and under Noah Himmelstein's direction, he really gave a tremendous performance in something called a costume. And um, here he was, it was a musical. It, uh, they do this from time to time there. They do one-act musicals. Um, I think they're all one-person shows. This certainly was. And um, this was a kid who found a bird uh, who was um, injured, and he wanted to take care of it. And I'm telling you, uh, to watch this kid sing for about 30 minutes nonstop and be so effective in getting our sympathy both for the bird and for him was an amazing achievement. So uh, I, I don't even know what the theater complex is called anymore. It used to be called the Abington. Um, it may still be to some degree, but um, it, I think it's a rental space. But 312 West 36, put it on your radar because amazing things can happen there. Yeah, um, that space, I think, is always been a, somewhat confusing to me and be, because I think it's a combination of rentals and, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah. there, then there have been resident companies like the yeah. Abingdon. But yes, I've, I've seen lots of good stuff there and it's, you know, it's quite centrally located, just a few blocks south of everything else. Um, so you should put that on your map if it's not already. Um, as far as cycles, you mentioned cycles or I mentioned cycles. Uh, <laughs> we also had, in, in another way, uh, we had the cycle of Stephen Adley Gerges uh, plays mm, that were done at the, the signature. signature and, yeah. and and for me, uh, it, it just worked out really well because I saw uh, two excellent productions there, Jesus Hop the A Train and Our Lady of 121st Street. And then I went to Staten Island to see uh, what turned out to be a just a wonderful production of uh, an early uh, Adley Gerges play, The Last Days of Judas Iscariot, which was I don't know, I guess honestly about a hundred times better than I thought that that production would be just in terms of the, because uh, it requires such a large cast uh, and everyone in it has to be really really excellent as far as the actors and so um, uh a director who I, I, I know slightly, Gary, Bla Gary Bradley, excuse me, um, he really put an amazing cast together there. And it was um, instructive to see that, you know, this this production by a, a group of really spectacularly talented amateurs um, in the best sense of the word, uh, chock-a-block with these with these two you know, slicker, or there's that word again, uh, you know, much more, uh, you know, quote unquote, professional uh, productions at Signature on 42nd Street. And all three of them were just superb. Uh, I I think it's, um, I'm sure Peter and, and James will back me up on this. I think it's fun and instructive to continue to see theater on all different levels, not just not just Broadway and not, not even just off Broadway, but, you know, uh, uh, institutional and, and educational theater. Uh, I, I, I think it's always fun to do that and see because uh, you never know where you're going <laughs> to where something like just really life changing is going to happen to you. Oh, yeah. I, I always use the analogy that uh, the Yankees used to have an ad campaign called um, at any moment, a great moment, meaning that uh, even if the team is behind nine to nothing in the ninth inning, you might hit, see the longest home run ever hit or the greatest play at third base or anything like that. And I have found out time and time and time and time again that um, greatness can happen here, there and anyway. The best choreography I saw this year uh, 
sure. Uh, we we all paid attention to what Justin Peck did with Carousel. But if you were at Music Theater at Wichita and saw what Brian J. Markham did with Freaky Friday, you would have been tremendously impressed. Um, and uh, a lot of people say, as I always bring this up, what a phenomenal theater is it out there. You know, Wichita. You know, sure, I understand that mm-hmm. point of view. But nevertheless, I'm telling you, um, <laughs> really is uh, quite a place indeed. So, um, so really, uh, you just never know where it's going to um happen. So I've, I've been very impressed by that. Uh, most people have been impressed by the puppet in King Kong. As I mentioned, um, I did not like it because I didn't like the strings and all the people around it. I expected more in 2018. But I certainly had no problem with the lighting and projections. The lighting was by uh, Peter Mumford and the uh, projections by Peter England and uh, they were phenomenal. Uh, most everybody who talks about the projections um, immediately mentions the scene on the boat which seemed like oh, the boat yeah. was rocking and um, that was really quite marvelous. Marvelous. Uh, so, so I like those quite a bit, you know. And um, uh, it, it, you know, what's always harder now is really um, talking about comedies. Um, comedies seem to have disappeared a lot from um, Broadway and even off Broadway, and finding funny things. Um, and, and I remember my friend David Wolf worked for Ticketmaster or, te- or Telecharge. One of them saying, "I find out when people call, what they really want to do is laugh. That's what they want to do. They want to laugh." Mm-hmm. And yet there are so few comedies around. And yet um, I did think that uh, if if you stretch the definition, uh, we did have two comedies this year that were. Um, not funny in the way that uh, Broadway comedies like Mary Mary or the voice of the turtle were, but, um, but uh, dark comedies, uh, Fabulation by Lynn Nottage, which I've gone to bat for many times, uh, with Cherise Booth being really a ter- terrific performance as a high and mighty uh, black woman who's achieved beyond her dreams and has um, made her family well in the background, uh, finds out she needs them when her husband uh, runs away with all their money and assets. So, um, And Hangman by Martin McDonough, which we were told might come to Broadway, and now we don't hear about it anymore, but mm. I enjoyed it quite a bit, especially with a performance by Reese Shearsmith, who uh, played uh, one of these um, <clears throat> bar flies. I don't mean in the sense of a drinker as much as somebody who ha- hung out at a bar and uh, came to regret it. Um, he gets himself further and further in trouble 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 and uh, that turns out to be a big problem but you know back to the idea of uh, a cons- uh, greatness can come anywhere um, I have to mention a person nobody's ever heard of uh, Jaron Mullen in One Man Two Governors at the International Thespian Festival in Lincoln Nebraska uh, playing the part that made James Corden a star hilarious um, and again seeming like he's not acting at all so um, I don't imagine Jaron will ever Jaren J-A-R-E-N, yes. Um, I don't imagine Jaron will ever hear of my admiration for him, um, but if anybody knows him, tell him that I really thought that uh, he gave a terrific performance beyond belief. Um, so, yes, uh, it can happen anywhere. Other uh, performances I liked um, – in terms of comedy, um, Tom Serrata, who was in Popcorn Falls, having to play a number of characters um, because James Heinemann's uh, play demanded that two character, two actors, but uh, a million characters, and going from this waitress who is having a tough life but still wants to flirt a little and hoping that um, she can get her life on track with the right man. Um, it was very, very moving um, and yet very funny as well. So, uh, And uh, certainly Three Tall Women isn't a comedy, but 
hilarious um, was Laurie Metcalf. Um, yeah, sometimes I really wonder if uh, if it should be um, if people should be slotted in categories based on the play or what the performance has to be. <laughs> yeah, um, because if there were a, 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 an award for best best featured actor in this comedy, Laurie Metcalf would win it. Not that Laurie Metcalf wasn't. Um, certainly acclaimed enough for what she did um, on stage, but she was terrific. I also have to say, um, if there were an award for sustained excellence, I would give it to uh, The Play That Goes Wrong. Uh, I've always liked it, but um, I went back, and especially seeing an understudy named Preston Truman Boyd. Imagine being an understudy in this production, (laughs) where, you know, I mean, everything's (laughs) falling apart around you. The the scene where, um, uh, I shouldn't give too much away, because it's, yes, it's closing, uh, soon, but it's going to be reopening soon off Broadway as we've talked. Um, but there, there is a scene where there's utter chaos beyond belief, and he has to keep everything in place. And I, I chose those words carefully. I couldn't believe how an understudy could possibly do it, but he did it so brilliantly and wonderfully. So, so um, I really have to uh, applaud him. So I hope we see more comedies. Uh, Mike Birbiglia did his part with the new one, but um, I hope we see more comedies uh, because uh, certainly in these trials times we need to laugh well i was just going to mention mike berbiglia and he's he's always can be counted on it i've heard such great word of mouth about his show and i'm so happy because i loved it too i uh and uh you know i'm glad that in his broadway debut that that he has been so well received um also in terms of comedy of course a lot a lot of times now nowadays we get it in terms of musical comedy, especially on Broadway, and and that is a perfect segue into uh-huh. uh, what I'd like to say about the prom, because I, uh, you know, I mean, the score is terrific, but I think even if you took the score out of it, that it would be brilliantly successful as a hilarious hilarious comedy uh that does have a a heart also and that's why it works Mm -hmm. but i it does have some of the biggest laughs that i've heard in a long time and 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 on that note i wanted to uh retroactively uh apologize i said uh you know i do a lot of this so get used to it folks Uh, (laughs) i was talking about i was talking about how angie schwarer the wonderful angie schwarer in the prom uh she gets one of the one of the biggest laughs I've I've ever heard on Broadway. It literally stops the show. And I said, the last time I can remember uh, anyone getting a laugh that big, I, I said it was about 20 years ago oh. when, when Linda Lavin uh, got a laugh like that in Broadway Bound on Broadway. Well, of course, it wasn't 20 years ago. It was 32 years ago. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm I, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I'm just Gonna obviously keep doing that. Anyway, I guess we can all look up the dates, so it's not the end of the world. Um, but the prom, I I just love it. I I I hear that it's really catching on, and word of mouth is fabulous. And and it uh, it is if you if you want to go to it only on the on the comedy level, you'll be brilliantly brilliantly pleased. Aside from the fact that. Uh, I think the score is great. Also, it's really delightful, and and the cast is 
uh, the performances are just through the roof. Um, and then, then again, uh, you know, comedy uh, in, in, in music, the comedy in, in musicals does not get much better than Fiddler on the Roof, which uh, has been mm-hmm. proven again by this mm-hmm. brilliant, perfect, mm-hmm. beautiful mm-hmm. Yiddish uh, pr- production in the Yiddish language that is, has been so successful uh, at the, down at the uh, Museum of uh, Jewish Heritage that it is coming to off-Broadway, actually. Uh, not Broadway, unfortunately, but Broadway, off-Broadway uh, at what is now called Stage 42, formerly uh, the Little Schubert on 42nd Street. And so you, uh, if you haven't seen it, you'll be able to catch it there and, and uh, larger audiences will be able to to revel in the brilliance of this production, including uh, uh, just just recently, I was talking to several people who had just caught up with the show, and and I think I don't think there has ever been a better Tevya than Stephen Skybell. I mean, obviously, I haven't seen every Tevya, uh, and I'm sure, and you know, perhaps uh, maybe Zero Mustel when he was behaving himself was as good. I would think may, maybe, but um, but he's just he completely embodies this show and, 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 and in terms of skills, uh, as both a comedian and a dramatic actor and a singer, um, he's, he's got it all. So, uh, and, and happily, uh, uh, is with a company that is right up to his standard. So I, I, I can't say enough about this, but, uh, but I'm just so thrilled that it's going to be going on. And, and I, uh, you know, I, 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 I can't, we, we often, we often say you've got to see this, but, but there are some times when it's really, I think, essential and, and, and more than ever. And this is one of those just please, please, please go see it when it reopens at stage 42. Uh, it was the revival of the year for me as well. I was tremendously impressed. There was a party for Steve Ross the other night, um, a birthday party and, uh, Sheldon Hardwick was there. And I mentioned the fiddle was the show that took me the longest to catch up to. Uh, it was almost four years after it opened that I finally saw it partly because of uh, ticket demand, partly because, I was living in Boston. The national company hadn't come, partly because um, I lost a little interest in it. Because uh, once um, Zero Mostel left, well, I figured, well, you know, anybody uh, is going to do it. So uh, the person who comes to Boston in the tour um, won't be any better or worse, probably, than the person who's doing it on Broadway now. So Sheldon said to me, um, "Well, uh, who did you see?" And I said, "Paul Lipson." And he said to me, "If you saw Paul Lipson, then you saw Zero." because he rarely replicated that performance. Uh, so I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of interesting. So if I've seen Zero Mostel, and I've seen so many other fiddlers over the year, because Fiddler is now the musical I've seen more than any other 20 times, literally on the button, then Stephen Skybell is the best heavy I've seen, and maybe one of the best heavies ever as well. So I will I will definitely agree with that. And I thought Joel Gray did the most effective job I've ever seen in any of the productions I've seen in mixing comedy with tragedy, followed by comedy by tragedy. Just amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, I would also go to back for uh, two other performances as best actor in a musical, and that's Will Rowland at Be More Chill, which you'll have a chance to see soon at the Lyceum, uh, playing a, 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 a sort of a Ben Platty um, um, type of character uh, from Dear Evan Hansen, uh, more effectively, I thought. And um, also Tony Yazbek in The Beast in the Jungle um, down at the Vineyard, I thought was really marvelous. This was um, a, a, a 
a show that John Kander wrote music for, and nobody wrote lyrics for it because it was just background <laughs> music. Tremendous music. In fact, the best music I heard this year, uh, two of the three uh, were uh, really background music because um, Stephen Schwartz did a score for As You Like It at Classic Stage, which I thought was wonderful too. But if we're going to talk about music, um, Mark Sonnenblick, Midnight at the Never Get, uh, down at the York Theater, um, which was mm. a, a musical about nightclub, uh, when nightclubs were really in fashion here uh, in New York. And this was a um, one where you re- he really replicated that sound. Uh, we were used to hear from uh, Frank Sinatra, even to occasionally hear from Tony Bennett, but um, really an amazing, amazing thing. But Michael, you bring up a good point about the fact uh, uh, you know, that um, we've had so many jukebox musicals and bio musicals and all that. And we usually hear all the time that uh, the problem with musicals are the books. And yes, of course, that's true. We can uh, certainly pull out a number of cast albums from our collections and saying this show must have been marvelous. And um, you know, then you see them like you know, House of Flowers or Grass Harp or uh, plenty of others, um, even to some degree um, way back when, Candide. But, but hmm. the thing is that um, I thought there were three very good books this year. And uh, one was by uh, certainly uh, Bob Martin and Chad Baglin for The Prom, uh, which after all started from scratch. Jack Vertel gave him the idea, I'll grant you, but it is an original musical. Um, I also thought that uh, Peter Mills and Kara Reichel, um, um, a married couple who do tremendous work with their prospect theater company, did a marvelous job with the Hello Girls, uh, dealing with telephone operators who decide to uh, join the World War One, um, based on a true story. And um, I really was in tears at the end. And um, Thomas Meehan, God rest his soul, and um, Car- I'm sorry, Nell Benjamin, doing the book for Dave down in Washington, D.C., a musical I much admired as well, especially because they played around with um, the movie. They didn't just put the movie on stage as so many movies, like Pretty Woman, for example, put uh, the movie on stage, and that they were content with that. But uh, Dave was rethought, and I thought that was really good. Nothing was rethought as much as To Kill a Mockingbird, though. Uh, again, I've expressed my admiration for that. Um, I just finished my review for Broadway Select, and it came out, um, I'm warning you right now, it was close to 1,800 words. Um, so... <laughs> As the king in Once Upon a Mattress says, I've got a lot to say because um, I was so <laughs> I admired To Kill a Mockingbird so so much, and um, certainly uh, Celia's, Celia Keenan Bolger in To Kill a Mockingbird gave one of the uh, fabulous performances of the year as well. So happy for her. Mm-hmm. So, um, as you can imagine, uh, Peter and Michael, do you have any grasp of how many shows you saw this year? Oh, I keep track. Yeah, but I do it by season. Um, so I'm, I'm never able to say exactly how many shows I saw yeah. a year. But it usually winds up being uh, around 350 for me. I didn't. I, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as you can imagine, with that many uh, different points, uh, and uh, of course, as Michael has uh, shown, we all have uh, – uh, spatial time related memory lapses. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so oh, yeah. you know, I think of things that. Oh my God, the best show I saw this year was actually three years ago. Uh, yeah, that type oh. of thing. So what I did was I compiled uh, some of our friends' year-end lists, and I might say that how do you do a year-end list at the beginning of December? December still has a lot of stuff left. I mean, I mean, all these Time things. Time Magazine really jumped the gun. I mean, Time Magazine was the earliest one I saw it. That might have even come out in November. Um, but uh, it's true, yeah. I mean, it, it, there should be uh, – people should be doing it right around the time when we're doing it. Um, yeah. Because you never – 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you you start you start doing uh, a year in review, and and you miss uh, you miss things like Reuben and Clay's Christmas show. <laughs> so, um, but all kidding aside, I pulled together a list of uh, some of our friends, uh, Sarah Holdren, Adam Feldman, Jesse Green, Ben Brantley, Peter Marks. And so let me talk a little bit about things that haven't been mentioned yet. Okay. So, um, and these may or may not be some of your favorites. Sure. But Absolutely. so Peter Marks talks about... Uh, why the girl from the North Country with the Bob Dylan songbook is the best musical of 2018? What What do we think of that statement? Um, I'm not sure I agree with uh, the best, but I adored that show. And uh, if it really does come to Broadway, I'm, I hope it isn't the Lunfontaine, but um, supposedly it may be. But I adored it too. Uh, so we're very much in sync on that. I thought it was a terrific show. And I, yeah, I was the opposite. I disliked it intensely. I was tremendously bored. I thought the the music uh, was performed really well by the cast, but I thought this book that was written around the show uh, was just filled with cliches and and dull and trite and boring and i couldn't believe that it got any good reviews so <laughs> so that's uh yeah so that's one of those cases yeah, where sure. i you know i'm i'm sure. on one end and lots of people mm. are on the other end mm-hmm. our own siskel and ebert here you know that's yeah, right <laughs> sometimes it happens yeah um uh, so in, in the in the world of Brantley and Green, uh, uh, in the New York Times, we have uh, things like Oklahoma at St. Anne's Warehouse that are listed as some of the best. So uh, did you guys get a chance to see that? I don't recall. No. I did, yeah. And um, I, I, was, I, I, I may have said this already, but um, I've likened it to the World Series uh, that goes seven games and a team wins three games and loses four. That's what Oklahoma was to me. Um, there were three marvelous things in it and four things that drove me crazy. So, uh, so that's why it's not, I haven't mentioned it yet. And um, I won't be surprised if indeed it, uh, it gets its share of Tony Awards uh, come Tony time. Uh, especially if there's a revival category with only two nominees. Michael, you know more about this than I. Would you say that cannot happen or it can happen? Oh, as far as the number of nominees that yeah. are allowed? I don't really know more than you about that. Oh, all right. Okay, <laughs> I thought you did. Anyway, no. um, uh, I won't be surprised if the revival category has both plays and musicals in it because there are only two musical uh, potential there, and that is, of course, the other one, Kiss Me, Kate. But, um, but I would think that in any race between Kiss Me Kate and um, this Oklahoma, that Oklahoma would win because it's so radically different. Uh, now, who knows? Maybe Kiss Me Kate will be, you know, set in Mexico. I have no idea. But um, <laughs> but chances are it'll it'll be a, a closer by the book Kiss Me Kate than uh, by the book Oklahoma that we have uh, here. So so um, uh, yeah, there was a lot to admire, but a lot to um, get upset about too. Now, on a somewhat related note, as far as we know, uh, and, and if we if the, we haven't heard by now, probably it's not happening. No transfer of Carmen Jones, right? I was just going to bring up Carmen Jones. Then a classic stage company also made a lot of lists. Oh, I'm not surprised it did. And uh, the best actress in the musical I saw this year mm-hmm. uh, definitely was uh, Anika Nani Rose. Um, and uh, I, I'd also like to say that. Um, 
the Bernadette Peters and Hello Dolly, I thought was the best of the three. Oh, yes. So um, that was another actress. But yes, since we're talking about Carmen Jones, uh, nothing has erased the memory. And I've seen a lot of terrific performances by actresses uh, in in the past few months in musicals. And yet uh, Anika Nani Rose is still um, my favorite uh, performance of the year for an actress. Um, Michael, I know, agrees with this, that we have to give uh, credit to Kate Marillet from The Prom uh, for being uh, such a great understudy. Um, oh, God, and, yes. Uh, amazing performance. Um, you would never know that um, she was thrust into um, <laughs> the performance at short notice. I mean, so, but uh, yeah, Carmen Jones was uh, quite wonderful. Um, a lot of people criticized it for being so abridged, and I understand that point of view as well. But uh, what was there was certainly terse. Well, and uh, I, um, you know, it would have been. I'm not sure that it would have worked on Broadway. Uh, this production, they they would have had to adapt it quite a lot. Uh, but it would have been nice uh, to to have it on Broadway in in at least in one sense because then we would have had revivals of two Oscar Hammerstein musicals from 1943. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's time. hard to believe that after Roger Hammerstein wrote Oklahoma, that Oscar Hammerstein on his own, only a few months later, Oklahoma opened at the end of March and in November, there was Carmen Jones. Just amazing. And of course, um, that's one of the reasons why he was on the cover of Time magazine, because uh, especially since a lot of people thought he was down and out, uh, having had so many flops in a row in that famous ad that he took out in Variety where he listed his most recent flops and said, I can do, I've done it before and I can do it again. But uh, yeah, it, it, it is true that uh, it's surprising that um, uh, Oscar Hammerstein did have two hits in 43 and it would have been nice to see him have uh, two uh, big hits in 2019. Well, I did uh, read up on it a little bit, including I think uh, some of it in the uh, something wonderful, the, the mm, new yeah. Rogers and Hammerstein book, but uh, it says that uh, of, of course Hammerstein didn't he didn't like write the, the all of the lyrics from scratch yeah. after Oklahoma opened. Right, of course uh, he had been working on I, I guess in the past. Sure. Yeah. yeah, just writing those wonderful lyrics to the music of Georges Bizet from the opera Carmen, and uh, they really they uh, you know I think I feel safe in saying it's the best. You couldn't actually call it just a translation of an opera because it's an adaptation as well. But I, I but you you don't usually get someone of the caliber of Oscar Hammerstein to write uh, English lyrics to uh, an opera libretta. Uh, the only other you know talent in that sphere that I know of is Sheldon Harnick, the aforementioned sure. Sheldon Harnick, who has done some uh, you know straight opera translation adaptations. And uh, as uh, written um, Captain Jinx and the Horse Marines, um, which oh, uh, yes. a, a play, that, yeah, that uh, he made into an opera. So that was uh, pretty impressive way back when as well. That's about 40 odd years ago. But um, so uh, what else can we talk about? Uh, well, Heidi Schreck, I think, really did a tremendous job in what the Constitution means to me. Um, I enjoyed that immeasurably. And I'm glad it moved and I'm told it may move again. I'm sorry, James, I interrupted you. going to tell us more about the other best lists. Uh, no, let's talk about Heidi Schreck. She was uh, she was on a number of lists as well. Uh, and and there is um, we, we just uh, Jenna Tessa Fox just did an interview with uh, Heidi Schreck um, uh, on Broadway Radio last week. And they uh, and Heidi talked about um, well, Jenna brought up the future of 
of what the Constitution means to me with Heidi. And Heidi is taking it down to the Woolly Mammoth Theater in the D.C. area. Oh. Uh, one of our listeners, Deb, Sh- Deb Schrager, uh, let us know uh, that she's already got tickets for that and she's heading to go see that, which seems to, if this comes to fruition, seems to rule out a quick transfer yeah. of this to Broadway. But also what Jenna brought up in the conversation with Heidi is – uh, would you be amenable to other actors mm. doing this role? And uh, Heidi talked about, yeah, it's it's in the works, and that other actors are going to be doing this, uh, doing this production. Not specifically any production in particular was mentioned, but it's a possibility that it could go uh, down to DC, and uh, you know, if we read. D- deeper into that statement, Heidi could stay and do it in New York, and it could go at the Woolly Mammoth at the same time. But uh, it's quite a production, and it's had a it, it it's it's gotten you know as much as an off Broadway show can go viral. This went viral. Well, in terms of that type of um, substitution thing, I've seen the Kathy and Mo show done by other actresses. Um, and of course, it was originally done for Kathy and Jimmy and Mo Gaffney. And I've also seen productions of The Search for Intelligent Signs, uh, the Lily Tomlin one woman show, done by a number of actresses, uh, meaning together on, on one stage that they've uh, split it up and, and, and done it that way. So, sure, um, even though it's, uh, it's really Heidi's show, um, it should live. Um, because it has so much to say, especially today, about what the Constitution does mean and um, how <laughs> how faithfully are we looking at it and um, what interpretations uh, have uh, and loopholes have cropped up that um, many of us feel has not made this a, a, a better country. So um, I, I think the nation has to hear this, and I'm not surprised that Heidi would say, look, anybody who wants to do it really should do it, um, and not just because of royalties, but because this is a message that really needs to be heard. Hmm. Um, also on some of the lists, and again, we talk about time-space compression, are shows like Angels in America that actually opened in March of 2018, uh, and we we haven't mentioned it so far this morning, but when it first opened, it was... Uh, it was widely uh, widely acclaimed, and then the Harry Potter shows as well. So, uh, do you think that these two shows, or the actually these three shows, because Angel America's is two shows, these three shows should be on the list? Um, I'm I'm not the right person for Harry Potter because um, I didn't know the stories and I did get lost uh, mm. rather quickly. So I I, I have to um, yeah. be neutral on that issue. The Angel of America revival was really terrific. I was very grateful that uh, we got to see it, and um, because it's it's such a difficult show to do. Though that off Broadway production of a few years ago uh, brought it back and it was really quite wonderful there too, uh, in a very different way. But yes, um, Angel of America would have to be uh, up there as uh, certainly the best revival um, of, a, of a play and um, though I would like to mention of course my beloved The Boys in the Band uh, which was abridged and um, I wasn't um, feeling that so many um, excisions were necessary I like the play just as it is but um, it was a very effective production and um, I really uh, enjoyed it tremendously um, especially Andrew Rennell's, um performance which uh, really surprised me because um, it's it's a part that um, isn't really 
well, celebrated terribly much. I mean, when, when you see the boys in the band, you really do think, well, okay, this is Michael's play or this is Harold's play. But it wasn't that type of thing at all. Uh, well, of course it was, but I don't mean that. Uh, I don't mean that Andrew Rennells, um took away um, and, and made it his play. All I'm saying is that... Um, <clears throat> That in in the role that you don't expect, that you um, really feel that um, has has been just a, um, a a part of the group. But one of the boys in the band, um, Larry, um, who is the lover of uh, Hank, uh, who um, and is not a person who is faithful while Hank wants him to be, but. I, having seen Boys in the Band so many, many times, I was so impressed how he really stood out in a way that I've never seen a Larry stand out before. And uh, so I, I thought um, he was terrific. Um, another Andrew, of course, was in Angels in America, and that was Andrew Garfield, who I thought was sensational beyond belief. Um, and um, so that was really a very effective situation as well. Yeah, <clears throat> I I completely am with you on the boys in the band i i thought they did such a wonderful job with it and uh but parenthetically something that's come up recently uh, i was talking with a friend is uh i don't know if you're both aware of the sequel to the boys in the band which is called yeah. the men, men from and, the boys yeah mm-hmm. the men from the boys yeah mm-hmm. which is a, a great title to begin with yes it is because of the double meaning because it's the, that old phrase that we can separate the men from the boys mm-hmm. but then it also means you know it can mean the men who who come who come, who grow out of the boys you know how boys grow into men in sure. one way or another and what does it mean to be a man and what does it mm. mean to be a gay man so um i think that's a really great title but anyway that show was done in um san francisco with the uh i the aforementioned um joel gray i believe as michael uh, and then it was done here uh, as a, I think a one night reading that I saw, and it's the funniest thing. I, I I looked for information about it online, and I could hardly find any mention that it ever even happened. Uh, I, uh, someone who should know uh, told me that Mark Crowley was is not that happy with it. Uh, you know, he's not he's not that happy with the way he has written it and the way it turned out, and the and the critical reception it's gotten so far. So I don't know. Um, if we will ever see it again in any form, but I hope so because I do remember liking a lot of it. It wasn't perfect, but but it was uh, it was really a worthy piece. And and given the fact that the the original plays is so much back in the consciousness now, uh, thanks to this terrific Broadway revival, I, I hope we do see the men from the boys again. Um, Angels in America, you know, I I, I kind of am like liking it less in retrospect i i think that uh, the play is the play and it is a masterpiece and uh despite maybe some longers um so it was always it's always good to see it in that respect i i think that this last production was successful mostly because of the the text itself and not especially because of the direction and the casting which i had several problems with um but so I'm glad they did it. But I, I guess I, I don't really, uh, in retrospect, think that it was as good as it was purported to be at the time. And uh, what was the other one you mentioned? Oh, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Uh, I'm, I'm in the same camp with Peter. I, I, I'm not the audience for it. I, I enjoyed it very much for the stagecraft and mm-hmm. the 
and several of the performances and uh, the I guess the intriguing uh, way in which they the the playwright took off on the original characters. But I think um, I certainly I certainly do not think it needed to be two plays. And I think that it may sound ridiculous to say this uh, now, but I think it may hurt it in the long run. I, I think, um, and it, there's no way, of course, we'll ever, ever know this. I think that the uh, that the length of the run uh, might have ended up being much longer if it had been only one play. Um, and, you know, again, unless, you know, we can do time travel or, you know, uh, uh, alternate universe thing, uh, which is kind of what the play is, right? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we uh, will never know that. Uh, I, I, I do um, I do wish that they had made it one. I think that would have been better for everyone uh, concerned. A few things that are showing up on other lists are shows like Dance Nation. I don't know if either one of you had seen it at Playwrights Horizons. I missed it, but oh. I know that that got, got lots of really, really great, great, great response. I liked it a lot, too. Oh, okay. And then uh, a show called Fairview. Uh, did either one of you see it? I missed Fairview. You see, you can't see them all. No, no, oh, definitely not. No, you can't see uh, a, a a a truism given to me I by do Peter the Felicia. Best I can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Passover at LCT three. Did you see that? Didn't. The sound uh. inside. Uh, Adam Rapp. Um, yeah. Uncle Vanya. That was. Uh, oh, Uncle Vanya was terrific. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, J.O. Sanders was really quite wonderful in it, especially. But uh, this was done um, in a small room, really. Um, I guess I guess it's a theater usually, but anyway, uh, in Hunter College um, uh, on the east side. And um, again, uh, Richard Nelson does uh, such marvelous work with making people seem natural. Again, much as I was saying earlier about uh, uh, the kid. Um, <clears throat> Um, in uh, the thing with feathers, Alexa Shane Nizziak, um, who who didn't act. Um, that's the way you felt with Uncle Vanya here, that uh, there were people sitting around a table uh, talking, as we've seen so many people do in our lives. So that was really quite wonderful. Yeah, um, that that should be mentioned, yes. Yeah. Our, our beloved Mint Theater uh, mm-hmm. did one play that I did not like just because I didn't like the play itself, uh, Days to Come by Lillian mm-hmm. Hellman. But they did two uh, really uh, excellent, well, they always do excellent productions, but uh, of two really, really worthy plays that were completely unknown to me, Conflict by Miles Mallison and Hindle Wakes by Stanley oh, yeah. Hewton. Yeah. Uh, and th- those were all this year, so they they had a very productive year, and uh, for me, two out of three. Uh, but even the third one, I mean, I'm so glad I saw it. Oh yeah, uh, really? A, yeah, yeah. A Lillian Hellman play? Yeah, yeah, sure. Bring it on. I mean, no matter um, how it played out, certainly um, the opportunity to see what was on her mind uh, at that period of time Absolutely. certainly Absolutely. Uh, worthwhile. Uh, Jonathan Bank does such amazing work with the Mint, oh, and um, you know, I, um, people always uh, say the famous line: "If you only have one show to see this year." Well, I'm going to say this: If you have only one off-off Broadway show or off-Broadway, if you uh, tend to view it that way, uh, a year. And I do think anybody coming to New York really should go off off Broadway and see one show to see what that world is like. Yeah, make it them in theater. Mm. 
Oh, another big surprise. Uh, I guess surprise was uh, because it seemed to me that uh, for whatever reason, uh, people didn't expect a lot of it, but was the on-course production of Grand Hotel. Mm. I, I thought it was just terrific, and uh, people were really buzzing about that. Uh, to I mean, of, of course, I guess every show that's done by Encores now, there's some Broadway buzz. Uh, there was for that. I, I, you know, obviously nothing happened yet. I don't know if discussions are still being held, but I think that is a show that will, should come back to Broadway. Certainly, uh, the. The uh, I mean, first of all, it's just so great as as a show and, and a score. But then the subject matter, you know, uh, uh, is remains all too timely. So, yes. Well, uh, I mentioned that Fiddler was the show I've seen the most, um, and that's because of this production this year. Uh, it had been tied with Grand Hotel as the show I'd seen the mo- the musical, by the way, that I'd seen the most, and uh, at nineteen. And um, I love Grand Hotel. I think it's one of the greatest musicals of the uh, late twentieth century, and uh, I never tire of seeing it. So I was really thrilled with uh, to see- have the chance to see it again. I uh, I do feel that uh, that original production will never be bettered, but still. Um, I welcome the uh, material itself. I think it has a terrific book and a terrific score. So, um, yes, Grand Hotel definitely was the highlight of the year. Uh, well, you just answered my question. I was going to ask, uh, you know, what was your take on the Encores uh, production? So we answered that. Uh, Sarah Holdren over at Vulture, uh, her list included a show that I hadn't heard heard of called Uncle Romeo, Vanya, Juliet. Did either of you see that? No, no, I, I remember it, but I wasn't able to get to it. The birds? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with that either. That was quite a thing. <laughs> uh, Bally Turk. Mm, that doesn't ring a bell. No. Uh, we talked about Yerma, Travesties, Oklahoma, Constitution Means With Me, so very similar. Uh, Adam... Uh, Brings in Dance Nation at his uh, Adam Feldman over Time Out New York brings in Dance Nation as his number one. Uh, so uh, it's, sorry, I missed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we I had heard about it after the fact, after it became popular, and I just couldn't get in, could, couldn't get a ticket to get into it. It was playing uh, at uh, times that I was not available. So. Um, the Ferryman, uh, we talked about oh, yeah. insofar as the set, but uh, obviously, oh, terrific play. It's uh, going to be really amazing. Uh, Oklahoma, which is transferring the Low Road at the Public Theater. I don't think we talked about the Low Road. Bruce Norris. Did uh, either of you see it? I think so. <laughs> I think so. It gets to that point, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's really uh, tough. And the slave play, as, as Michael talked about at the top of the show, mm-hmm. uh, just huge word of mouth. A New York Theater Workshop, it seems as though that um, it, I, uh, other than that strange play about the boxes, uh, that oh, was at yeah. New York Theater Workshop uh, last year, year before. Oh, um, yeah. I, I don't think I've seen a bad thing at New York Theater Workshop in a couple of years. Not that this thing about the boxes was bad; it was just not my thing. Um, so. You know, you you um, you brought up Sarah Holdren, uh, and I I I I'd like to maybe spend a couple of minutes on this. I, I don't usually do this, but she wrote something uh, about American Son. 
uh, of all things, that that to me was just so strange uh, that I felt that I that I actually commented on it. Uh, I, I wrote about it, uh, and then I spoke to some friends about it. I, I was just wondering if if what you guys think of this. What did she, I don't recall? This, what did what did well, she say? Well, that, that's the thing. This, uh, she says here is the quote: <clears throat> Derek McLean's bulky photo reel Miami police station set telegraphs that there will be nothing remotely theatrical about this play. No reason for it to be a play at all. Contemporary plays like American Sun are imitations of the shows on NBC or Netflix and pale ones at that because they neither take joy in the possibilities of their own form nor respect its demands, unquote. Now, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 there's so many things wrong with that statement to me. There, there, there are many, many plays that we can think of that, that have taken place on photorealistic sets Indeed. and that have been considered classics. And I don't think that's anti-theatrical. Um, and then also for her to compare it to these TV shows, uh, that's kind of ridiculous because it's such a completely different animal. Those those shows would have lots more characters and, and have, uh, ca- you know, camera cameras mm-hmm. cutting from one location to another and the whole structure of the narrative would be completely different whereas i think having three or four actors in one set in real time is is incredibly theatrical so i have to say that in that particular case i don't think she knows what she was talking about i'm going to take it from a different vantage point that is the fact that um, if indeed uh it is anything like those tv shows well i'm told we're in a golden age of tv the tv <laughs> is pretty good you know so maybe it's a compliment that it's as good as a tv show um because uh, certainly so many people i know have uh been uh, addicted I don't think that's too strong a word either to Law and Order and uh, such shows uh, over the years and so many TV writers I know uh, originally wanted to write for Broadway and felt that the money wasn't going to be there for them or the opportunities and as a result went to California and have done extraordinarily well uh, so uh, maybe the fact that it's like a TV show is a wonderful statement who knows no but, no, but she's saying they're not I as, know she's saying it's not as good as these TV shows. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you, but thank you for playing. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, love- her love- review on American Sun uh, is interesting. Here, what uh, I just had it in front of me. I lost. Well, you know, it. I can't, You know, you can like it or hate it, but I just, I the whole basis of the criticism sounded so strange to me. So her the review was. Uh, the good intentions of American Son, good-hearted, does not mean good. Uh, so maybe that it plays along uh, that theme that that uh, that you're talking about there. I'm not really sure. Uh, she really, that- really disliked it. I, there was a line at the beginning of the review. I, I, I can't remember it, but she really. American Son is a dreadful play, and it's not alone. Wow, that's the yeah. beginning line of her review here. Yeah. Uh, I just so, thought it was fantastic. I thought it was just great. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you can't like them all. 
You can't nope. see them all. You can't like them all. <laughs> no, but I was just specifically uh, focusing on that specific criticism that something is not theatrical because it takes place in a photorealistic set and it's uh, it's got like just four characters in you know interacting in real time. I, I don't. I don't. I, don't I found the set effective because it was sterile. And um, the fact that uh, such a dramatic thing was going to happen in such a sterile space um, made an impression on me. So I, I, I like the set. Well, how did she think about network then? I mean, sure. I mean, network, you know, uh, it seems to fit into that genre, uh, uh, you know. If uh, if I'm understanding correctly, what what the statement is, I think it was uh, just uh, we we I think you know I've said this many times we always uh, we always get into trouble when we make generalizations hmm. uh, and and it's natural to do it because it makes it easier to talk about things but you have to be really careful because if you say. Uh, well, yeah, if you just make a, a broad statement like, well, uh, you know, this this is a photorealistic <laughs> set, and so it's not going to be theatrical. <laughs> well, know, I, I, my, I just, favorite, my favorite example of uh, generalizations came years and years and years ago with an actor named Michael Lombard, because John Simon, when he was writing for New York Magazine, said, Michael Lombard, as always, and it was some sort uh, of criticism. So yeah. Michael Lombard wrote in and said, um, I'd like to quote John Simon's reviews uh, of me in past productions. Well, you know, the Michael Lombard is terrific in blah blah blah. Michael Lombard is sensational in blah blah blah. And you know, it was just so amazing that um, he he contradicted, of course. And there it was. I mean, in black and white, that he had said these things. And John Simon answered by saying, "Yes, this does show the danger of using <laughs> words like always and never." You know, so this is exactly what we're talking about here. So uh, it really is true. It really is true. Uh, we talked about uh, off the beaten path um and um i'm going to mention daniel devlin an actor i'm sorry director who uh, i'm sure is unknown to uh, virtually everybody who's listening uh, who directs out of westfield high school and directed children in follies and um it was an amazing directorial achievement and uh, after a while you certainly forgot that they were uh, teenagers and uh, were extraordinarily impressed it was one of the best directed musicals i saw this year and of course doing follies is never easy and um we have certainly seen misfires of productions um uh, the belasco one some years ago comes to mind but um <laughs> the fact that here's a high school teacher who really does exemplary work um i i try to get out there whenever he does a show and i certainly um, made the time and effort to get there for Follies. Um, so I, I, I did want to mention him. I also want to mention Desperate Measures, which, yes, was oh, a yeah. show from 2017, but uh, given that it transferred off-Broadway and uh, more people saw it uh, there, I'd like to mention Desperate Measures, which I thought was terrific with um, Peter Kellogg's work um, as as the book writer and, um, and lyricist and um, David Friedman um, doing wonderful um, work as a composer, as always. So um, I'm sorry it didn't run longer, but uh, I really thought it was uh, quite an achievement, and I, I did want to mention that as well. Um, I, I was last year, I think it was, when the Bedlam Theatre Company did their Pygmalion. I thought that was terrific as well. I may be wrong. That might have been a 2017 production, but um, but I really enjoyed that tremendously. And I'm going to mention a guy named Sam Gibbs. And Sam Gibbs was recently 
at the um, Soho Playhouse on Van Damme Street. And um, it was a two-person show, but the other person really essentially gave incidental music and occasionally came out with a line. But Sam Gibbs was telling the story of Beowulf. And you could tell that it was supposed to be funny. And it was a very sparse audience. Very sparse. I think I counted 13 people. Um, And... I didn't respond to the material at all, and neither did anybody else. And I am telling you, watching this man trying so hard and never, never giving up in a losing cause uh, was was amazing to me. I know there must have sounded as if there were three or four left-handed compliments in what I was just saying. But I really want to uh, talk about the fact that actors who do not give up when uh, many would uh, under difficult circumstances. I may have mentioned this along the way, but we did a benefit for Peter Neufeld, um, the general manager who um, sadly died of, um, I think, Parkinson's disease. We did a, um, a, um, a tribute to him uh, and a book he had written out at the Actors' Home in Englewood, New Jersey, which was packed because, of course, all the actors came to see this. And uh, Victor Garber, Karen Ziemba, um, you know, tremendous. And then we did it at the Drama Bookshops Theater down below, and I think there were seven people there. And um, you would think it was the same um, number of people that Victor Garber and Karen Ziemba and uh, a few others really um, did their all. I really love when actors do their all under difficult circumstances, and Sam Gibbs really did. I might not like the show, but I liked his perspicacity and um, uh, and his uh, willingness to continue. And um, I, I think some actors would have even cut the evening short, uh, but um, he um, told the whole story of Beowulf. Hmm. That was uh, part of uh, the Encore Fringes uh, yeah. th- uh, thing um, down at Soho Playhouse. I see that now. Michael, what were you going to say? Oh, just uh, the the one high school show I saw this year, I think, was uh, West Side Story at the Professional Performing Arts School, which I talked about how great that was. Um, and then at Wagner College, I saw a terrific production of Hair, which uh, um, in retrospect was was even more amazing because Galt McDermott was in the audience. And I'm sure, uh, I, I don't think I mentioned this the last, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago about Galt's death, but it, it, it had to have been the last yeah. production of hair that he saw. And I he- heard, um, from one of his family that he had tears in his eyes at several point during the show. So I think that that was like, Great. I'm so glad that they did that and that he got to see it and they did such a beautiful job with it. Uh, and then they did a much uh, a smaller uh, uh, but ac- equally excellent student production of Spring Awakening uh, that I got to see. Uh, and then other traveling-wise, I didn't do as much traveling this year, but I, I did see uh, that terrific hairspray at the Argyle Theater in Babylon. Oh, yeah. Which, I did, too. Yeah. Yeah, that was very that, good. Uh, I saw several shows there. I think the hairspray was, was their best so far. Uh, I was lucky enough to see passion at signature in dc uh with uh natasha diaz and greg mayhew and uh they uh i'm glad to hear um that you said uh, what the Constitution means to me is headed to the woolly mammoth in, yes. in D.C.? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So that's going to be – you know, they're, they're, there's always such great stuff down there. So that's one more reason to uh, to plan a trip to D.C. Uh, so I'll be looking at getting down there uh, in the spring or, or whenever that happens. 
Mm. Uh, you know, it's, um, I'm a little embarrassed that uh, we've been on for uh, 75 minutes and the words Brian and Cranston haven't cropped up yet. Um, <laughs> you know, and because um, he really is tremendous in network, especially given the fact that he's not giving the Peter Finch performance, which was magnificent. Um, but he's magnificent in his own way. And if you think you've seen uh, network uh, in terms of that Peter Finch performance, that uh, it can't be changed or it can't be bettered, um, whether or not it's better, it certainly is different. And um, and equally as effective and uh, especially in the moment where he just does nothing and you you're wondering uh what's going on in that head when he's doing nothing when he should be doing something i'm talking about the character now not brian cranston as much um but um <clears throat> very effective um i also feel bad that um so much time has gone by and i haven't mentioned lowen smith who was in peace for mary francis we have so many uh plays in which um Older people are losing their mind, um, and uh, what's happening here is the woman had a very clear mind, even though she was very old. It's her body that was failing her, and Lois Smith, therefore, had a lot of opportunities to say a lot of pithy things and said them extraordinarily well, as you would expect from any Lois Smith performance. <laughs> and Billy Piper as Yerma. I mentioned the set, but I've got to mention Billy Piper as Yerma because um, that was really quite effective, too. This wasn't quite the Spanish play that uh, has been around for a while, but um, it, it was adapted, and Billy Piper certainly made it a, a show for our times all right so that kind of wraps it up for today before we get on to trivia i want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com there's a subscribe link that way each and every time we have a new episode of this week on broadway it'll be automatically downloaded to itunes for you uh normally i go into another segment here but i wanted to let you guys know something yes. um, let me pull this up here all right uh, hold on i had it in front of me and now it's not here so i think as of the other day on broadway radio we we did uh 375 shows this year wow uh, we have 2.2 million downloads. Wow. Oh, that's great. Uh, it's it's a tremendous, tremendous year for us here at Broadway Radio, and we're trying to grow it and make it better next year and better the year after and things like that. And that only, you know, it only happens because listeners keep listening to us and keep downloading our shows and don't unsubscribe and give us... Uh, moral support and help us you know, help us out with emails and let us know what's happening in all different parts of of the world with theater near them. And I just really wanted to say thank you to not only Peter and Michael and Matt and Jenna and Jan and Natalie and Carrie and anybody else who contributes to Broadway Radio, but to the listeners as well. It's it's a it's it's a tremendous ride for us to be on, and I never imagined it, you know, ten fifteen years ago when we first started first started doing these uh, broadcasts. So contact information for Peter, for Michael, and me can be found at BroadwayRadio.com as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. I've been trying to compile all the things that we have said this morning. So we will uh, continue to update the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com. So, Peter, do you have a, uh, an answer for last week's trivia? I do. Uh, the question uh, was that uh, there was a famous musical that had a window card that was primarily black. 
And yet, its original cast album used red instead in the front cover. And uh, it's always surprised me why that happened. But anyway, the show was Annie. And um, the answer was certainly uh, gotten by Chad Campbell, the first to get it, followed by Carrie Winslow, Ron Fassler, Brigadude, Ingrid Gammerman, Alyssa Ma, Jeff Valenga, Dina Stein, and Donald Tessioni. So uh, a number of people knew the answer to that one. We'll see how you do this week, friends, with this one. <clears throat> we know that Rod... Nikki, Brian, Christmas Eve, Kate, and Princeton all live on Avenue Q. But many moons earlier, what character from a very different musical was said to live one block over? Hmm. <laughs> all right. So if you have an answer to that, uh, email us at TriviaBroadRadio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. And sing this acceptance song. Let us accept one another. I know it's truly hard. Sister and brother, here's what I learned at Juilliard. Bigotry's not big of me, and it's not big of you. Let's all work together to make rainbow dreams come true. Ladies and gentlemen, two-time Tony Award winner, Miss Didi Allen. Except fresh sea air through their blowhole thing. Blowholes, bumblebees, except they'll die within a year. And still they flap their soon to be dead wings. Let us accept one another. Forget your politics. The non-equity cast of Godspell and one-time drama desk winner, Barry Glickman. Accept me. 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 Accept me.